0: Yeah, this should be a pretty damn good podcast in light of everything, whatever's going on in the energy world. You know, big push for electrification, heat pumps. So we're going to talk about them today. I could have sworn we've done this one before. We almost did. I think we talk about it. We've every talked time about we it. Out. Yeah. We kind of did with VRF, also in a in a sense, but yep. um, yeah, this is its own discussion. So. For our listeners, I hope you guys enjoy it. With that being said, I will. Uh, I'll get this kicked off. Hey guys, welcome to the Better Building Systems podcast. I'm your host Clayton Ferry, and here with me today is Nick Taliska, Jim D Pasquale, and Mark Sankey. So as you guys know, today's discussion will be all about heat pumps, and I think a fitting start to this podcast is to just briefly outline what a heat pump is, if if you don't know. And I think this is like a very layman's terms definition. So, you know, feel free to jump in with any technical definitions, guys. But to me, a heat pump is a piece of HVAC equipment that transfers heat to or from a space through the use of electricity and the principles of the refrigeration cycle. So the principle of operation is very similar to your standard air conditioning system, but also has the ability to reverse the refrigeration cycle and provide warm air instead of cold air to a space pretty fair definition i would like to clarify okay it doesn't really reverse the
1: refrigeration cycle because the compressor is still a compressor condenser and evaporators are still evaporator and condenser but it does reverse the flow of refrigerant
0: yes yes that is a good clarification yep reversing valve right that'll do yep yep, yep. Which then turns the condenser and the evaporator, and evap- right? Yeah, s- vice swaps versa. Their
1: places in the cycle.
0: Yep. Okay. Good. Good. Um, so there, to me, are three basic different types of heat pumps: a ground source, an air source, and a water source, which could be also a ground source technically, but not necessarily. <laughs> and I don't know if you guys wanna. Anybody wants to jump in and add anything to that? or not, about the different types of heat pumps?
2: Hey, Clayton, I'll just jump in real quick on what you just mentioned. You know, the similarities and differences between a ground source and water source heat pump. Uh, You know, the main difference that jumps out to me is they're technically both
0: water Water source source. or water
2: water cooled or water heated. You're projecting or absorbing heat from some sort of water loop. But when you're sourcing heat pumps, um, you'll see that they do show them the ground source is a different category, mainly because you're dealing with a a higher lift, you're dealing with lower temperatures, uh, you know, that we find that you need for a ground source system using temperatures derived from earth, you know, the underground loop water coming from the earth, as opposed to like a tower and boiler loop. Um, Those will have, generally speaking, higher temperatures. And lower lifts to deal with so that's kind of like the big difference between like a ground source heat pump and a when you see just a water source heat pump that's when you're dealing with the industry terminology that's kind of the big difference that i see
0: so it's it's fair to separate them into three categories then from that explanation i would say yeah i mean even when i was kind of going through this i, I was like they're, they're different but they're the same but I didn't know how I wanted to explain that they're different in essence. So, you, I think you did a good job on that. And then, am I right in thinking
3: that ground source is then further divided into just regular ground source, which I think we've discussed about is really solar energy, right? Or geothermal, which is a different source of energy.
0: Oh, yeah. We, we talked about that a little bit on our last podcast, right? When we were talking about um, New Zealand. Yeah, sounds familiar. Possibly, right? They use geothermal, but it's not... Well, it's geothermal is different than a ground source heat pump. It's direct thermal almost. Yeah. um, Where they'll actually
1: sink, even for their primary power generation, they'll sink something into the ground to produce steam directly, and um, either by thermal salt like they use liquid salt to bring heat directly to surface and produce steam using that heat
2: and i think this came up on our renewables podcast i think we were yeah arguing or discussing (laughs) whether it's considered a renewable source of uh, heating and cooling and um not to digress and go back down that path um but if we we're going to divide ground source heat pumps into different subcategories, you'd probably get into whether you have horizontal loops and trenches where mm-hmm. the majority of your your loop piping and heat rejection and absorption is relatively close to the surface. Mm-hmm. You know, you're within plus or minus 8 to 10 feet um, versus vertical wells. I would argue that vertical wells are more of a like a seasonal energy storage. You you definitely are getting some geothermal and in solar, you know, additional heat put into that loop. But you know, the, the vertical loops when you're trenching down hundreds of feet vertically, uh I, I tend to just think of that as more of a energy storage type of system. Mm-hmm. Whereas when you have those horizontal loops closer to the surface, then you're definitely getting much more effect from the ambient air the effects of the ground temperature when you're when you're within 10 feet of the surface
0: Hmm. good clarification so um yes it is so my question i guess to add on to that then jim is you know for me say you do geothermal and you do a horizontal loop field and you're eight feet down six feet down i don't know you you swag an average ground temperature you're kind of in like the what 50s and 60s and it changes obviously depending on the season what do you get when you go hor- or vertical in a well straight down does that
2: yeah so when you go vertical in a well once you get greater than 10 feet down the temperature is much more consistent mm-hmm. before you put the heat pump in right and now this is where the balance of the system gets very important because it does become more of an energy storage type of system and that's how you have to think about it. Um because massive you can't, heat
0: sink. Yeah,
2: mm. you you could you could uh definitely saturate, al- it. Yeah. saturate it and alter the long-term temperature of the loop field. And that's why you have to perform some pretty rigorous uh simulations and um, analysis on what that what the effects you're gonna have on the ground temperature over time. So if you have a very unbalanced system you know, to where your heating or your cooling load is, you know, twenty to twenty-five percent of your heating load cumulatively over time, you know, throughout the year, you might start to see a significant rise or drop in the average temperature, depending on how which way that load is unbalanced, and that could throw off the uh, the operation of your system. You know, the the heat pumps have a certain window of water temperatures are rated for and if you swing that ground temperature too far in either direction um you know you're gonna affect the cop of the system mm-hmm. and if it goes too far you, you might be outside the operating envelope of the system altogether or greatly reduce the capacity of the system and that's why a lot of times especially in order climates you might see auxiliary boilers added to help do some peak load shaving or to help bring balance to the system or, or towers, um, as well.
0: This is obviously at a larger commercial scale, like somebody that wants to put a a heat pump in their house that thinks, Oh, I can either do well or horizontal probably doesn't have much to consider either way on that aspect. Right.
2: Yeah. I think, you know, most residential single family residential applications in my experience are horizontal, uh, assuming
0: you have the room. Yeah. It's cheaper and everything.
2: And it's not, as much of a concern you're you're Mm -hmm. relatively close to the surface whereas a lot of the bigger commercial industrial geothermal ground source setups i've seen are typically vertical wells because you're dealing with higher tonnages and Mm -hmm. the amount of uh you know space you need is much less for a vertical system instead of needing you know an acre per yeah. Ton or yeah, you know, right. what, that rule of thumb. You're, you're talking, well, now I'm like 20 feet on center for my vertical wells, yeah. depending yeah. on the ground conditions and the depth of the well. Yep. That's much less space required for the vertical well. much more cost. You know, you're now oh, you're yeah. getting a drilling oh, tr- oh, yeah. rig in there. You're essentially yep. drilling, you know, a couple hundred feet typically. Mm-hmm.
1: No, that's so,
2: and worth and noting,
1: though, something to consider. Many uh, holes. Yes. Yeah, I mean, just we have a. Uh, project it looks like we're going to end up with it they want to do or at least do an analysis of a large-scale geothermal site and uh i think the motivation is by large the feel-good motivation versus the financial motivation
0: well that's what we're here to talk about today isn't it oh sorry (laughs) (laughs) right well that's what something we'll talk about i don't know i mean i don't don't want want to get the the what Jim's
1: talking about, we need to do careful, uh, analysis and give some thought to the impact on, um, you know, changing the steady state temperature of, uh, the ground. Heck we could be creating a whole nother global warming or global cooling monster here by going to renewables because they're not really renewable. That's the first law of thermodynamics, right? Can't create or destroy energy. You're putting it somewhere.
0: Mm -hmm. This is true. That's a good good point though, Jim, to uh, bring out front because I had something I didn't necessarily consider. You know, I lot I know, especially some colleges that have done geothermal um, heat pump systems, and they've done the vertical wells, and it's like through whatever a whole parking lot mm-hmm. kind of thing. And um, I didn't never consider the effects of the average ground temperature increasing or decreasing over time based off of like the density mm-hmm. of the the loops if you're still calling them that so hmm. very interesting what about now and and, and then we we kind of talked about you, you mentioned COPs right so that is to me the the forefront of a heat pump right is its potential for a high coefficient of performance and I don't know people listening or not if you know what a COP is or not but it's it's more than just efficiency, right? So when we when we look at um, heating and cooling equipment and you look at your standard furnace, for instance, you're gonna see a sticker on it that says 80, 92, 96, what have you, and that's its, its combustion efficiency. So if you, for every unit of energy you put into that furnace, it gives you 96% of it back as heat going into your house, right? But when we look at a uh, heat pump, it has coefficient of performance, which essentially means, for every unit of energy it consumes, it moves x amount of units of energy. So if you got a COP of three, if you put in one unit of energy, it provides three units of energy. And it doesn't mean it makes it, but right, it moves it into the space. That's how I would right. layman's terms define COP. So looking at some of these, I don't know, heat pump cut sheets and stuff. It it looks like. You're doing really well if you get into like a COP of maybe five, four or five, somewhere around there. I don't know, Jim, if you're the resident heat pump expert, I'll let you uh, add your thoughts to that.
2: Yeah, well, I don't know if I would call myself the resident heat pump expert, but <laughs> yeah, if I see a COP of four or five, it, it, it's, you know, you're doing, you're doing pretty well there. I mean, he, and it's all in, it's all relative, right? So even a COP, you know, essentially a COP above one.
0: You're doing good. Technically,
2: if you're comparing um, your heat pump to like electric resistance heat, you're doing very well when you're when you start to get below a COP of three um, and you're comparing it to gas systems. That's when you start to have to figure in the efficiencies of, uh, you know, gas, you know, gas and how and how you're generating your electricity. So if you just look at it at the unit level and I say, oh, my heat pump has a, let's call it a COP of of 1.5. Uh, and <clears throat> just to go back real quick and just recover what you talked about, Clayton, um, about efficiencies and COP. I think you did a good job explaining it, but it's so important to this discussion. I just want to revisit it one last time. Yeah. So gas furnace, I'm 90% efficient. Uh, we use the word efficient where a, a furnace is converting... Chemical potential energy, which is in the form of some sort of fuel, natural gas, into usable heat. So I'm converting 90 units out of my 90 units of my fuel into usable heat. 10 of those units are going out the vent pipe, not to be wasted. Whereas a heat pump, we're not necessarily converting a source of potential energy into usable energy, we're moving heat. Mm-hmm. And that's why we don't really use the word efficiency, we use the word effectiveness when we talk about heat pumps. So when you say I have a COP of 1.5, you know, I guess it's you know, your my thermodynamics professors and all the academics are going to yell at me for saying this cuz they you don't use the word efficiency when you talk heat pumps, but yeah. it's just it just helps in explaining to the, you know, maybe some of the listeners that aren't as familiar. We're going to – I just explained the differences, but now we're going to describe that as an efficiency to help you understand, you know, a 1.5 COP, in a way, you could think of it as 150% efficient, like electric furnace um, to where – and that's where it doesn't make sense, right? Like, how could something be more than 100% efficient? Well, that's because heat pumps are moving heat, and that's why we do describe it with effectiveness and coefficients of performance. But I just wanted to re- revisit that real quick. Now, getting back to what we are, we're, we're talking about, you have to look at the whole system because we're using electricity, but electricity isn't mined in the ground. We have to generate it. It has to be created, and there's efficiencies there. So you can't just say, oh, well, my heat pump has a COP of 1.5. It's 100%, 150% efficient. That's a lot better than my 90% efficient furnace. Well so, if that oh, go ahead Mark.
1: No, I just I, I just ran some quick calcs basically just saying exactly what you said. So if I have five dollar an MCF gas at ninety percent efficient efficiency, um it's costing me five fifty a million BTUs, right? If I have a heat pump at uh, five cents a kilowatt hour at a three C O P, it's costing me four eighty a million BTUs. So if you're, if you're the owner, I mean, those are the kind of calculations that you have to make. You have to yep. run it, COP at three or better at a rate of five cents a kilowatt hour. Obviously, if your rate per kilowatt hour goes up, it drives that COP requirement higher. So if I can't get over, you know, for, for instance, four, and maybe I don't know what the natural gas rate might be, you know, as a comparator. But as the natural gas rate goes up, my COP can be lower. But it's imperative that uh, people make a normative comparison when they evaluate: Do I need to go to a heat pump, and are we doing it just for the energy cost reasons, or do you have other, you know, reasons? We we think or we posit that it reduces our CO two
0: footprint. Well, that's- you had a and if for our listeners, Mark made a great point about that in the last podcast episode, might be worth revisiting today. You mean
1: about the percent uh electric generation that's still yeah. natural gas yes well, it's yeah yeah
0: yeah 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 um that fits into this you know just uh the
1: the fact that oh we think that by switching from a fossil fuel at point of use to electric at point of use even if it's a heat pump doesn't in and of itself completely eliminate a carbon footprint because in every state including new york there's still a large a large constituent of the generation base is still natural gas powered in New York state. It's over 40%. So we can say, oh, we're switching to a more efficient uh, point of use energy source. However, that energy source has a large, uh, is, it has a large component, which is at relatively low efficiency natural gas uh, consumption. In the range of 50 to 60 percent efficiency at point of generation so i think the intent may be i mean it's well-intentioned to say yeah everybody should switch to heat pumps but on a broader scale um that in and of itself will not reduce carbon footprint for the
3: community the state whatever yeah uh Yeah, these are complicated energy moving machines, no doubt, as Jim and Clayton nicely explained too. And one thing that's always confused me, because I don't deal with heat pumps a lot, it seems like I did years ago. And back then there was two ratings, COP and EER, energy efficiency ratio, which are both, I think it's important to note, like instantaneous measures of. I guess the effectiveness and they do have efficiency in there like jim explained is kind of confusing but
1: well and i think go ahead nick
3: sorry i was just going to say and then somewhere along the line i was working on other stuff and then now you know there's heating season performance factor and then seasonal energy efficiency ratio which are two different you know measures when you're comparing these things and so in the work i do like the instantaneous rate, like even a boiler, or whatever it's spec at a combustion efficiency is not the end of the line when you're talking about maybe modeling the system over right. an actual site you're working on. But I think well, so much of this is confusing people. And I've seen these this analysis done before. People take COP, which unless something's changed, will be quite different in the summer or cooling season or cooling mode as 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 it would be for heating mode, right? Absolutely. So yeah, that's a, not taken into effect. The, the standard rated conditions are never really normalized for your site. So I think, I mean, this might they might have the potential to be one of the most inaccurately modeled types of systems when they're out there. I
1: I, I don't know about inaccurately modeled. I think it's exactly uh, equatable to your EPA estimated mileage because I've never owned a vehicle that. Got the EPA estimated mileage that was published on the sticker.
3: Correct. That's true. But how much does that matter to you?
1: Well, it's you're taking a grain of salt, right? It's not, it's not ever, oh, if I don't get, pick a number 25 miles to a gallon, I can bring this thing back because it's 100% under design controlled conditions, which none of us live in
3: well that's exactly my point then so you're not using your savings and fuel to finance the large capital requirement of that car and if you don't there's major legal and financial implications so that's that's kind of my curiosity with the ratings and how they're being applied and now in 2023 we have two new ones coming in the SEER 2 and the hspf which is the heating season performance factor 2. You know the second generation, which I think has something to do with changing the I don't know static pressure or something that's simulated or, or factored in in testing conditions.
2: Yeah, and Nick, I guess I would what I would say is when you're when you're talking EER, IER, EER, chiller IPLV, these are all ratings um, given by some sort of standard testing method by AHRI to try and give all these pieces of equipment um, like an apples to apples attempt at full load and part load efficiency, um, as well as to enforce energy code in many ways. I I, I wouldn't use those values for any high level, or not high level, but any advanced modeling. Because as you said, the COP instantaneous cop is changing based on your operating conditions so depend depending on your if it's an air source heat pump depending on your ambient air temperature and your current load on the system um, if it's a ground source heat pump depending on your water temperature um, that'll affect the cop greatly and uh, if you're doing like an hourly analysis in advanced modeling you'd want to almost be recalculating your COP on the fly based on the current conditions. Mm-hmm. Um you know, so I wouldn't I wouldn't model anything based off of those numbers. Those are more uh, to help people understand, well, how is this full load efficiency and what's the expected general part load efficiency? You know, like they, they cut up the Estimate a part load for a typical comfort cooling load profile over a year to give you an idea of what your part load efficiency is since we spend the great majority of our time at part load that's an important number um but you're you're, you're right you can't just throw those numbers at some sort of advanced modeling and provide you know a level of comfort to the finance people
0: <laughs> this is how much money you're gonna save yeah, yeah, yeah exactly yeah and not even
3: i mean my beef may be just with uh it's there seems to be and maybe it's the nature of the heat pump as an as a reversible energy moving machine right that there are these ratings so just as I that you're running through the example and saying i have a heat pump with a cop is this better than a furnace with xyz x efficiency but you know, even that people, I think, can be making decisions based on at a simple level, like, you know, residential, maybe based on this one number. Oh, yeah. And understanding that you may not get
0: four COP out of this mm-hmm. thing yep. ever. You hit the nail right on the head, man. Is that the phrase? Yeah. Especially for air source heat pumps. That was going to be my example to, to mm-hmm. lead off on that is, you know, somebody, especially in the northern climates, they might say, oh, I'm going to put an air source heat pump in. I can get a COP of five. Well, in the wintertime, you're just, you basically have an electric heater, so. Oh, absolutely. And people, I mean, that's that's the only negative, not the only, that's a negative that I see of maybe some heat pump marketing, if you if you want to call it that. Oh, it's definitely, it seems like one of
3: the more confusing. I mean, Jim, to your example of a chiller and all that integrated part load, I mean, that's, you know, part load efficiencies. You know i don't know that seems a little more manageable sometimes then. and maybe it's because i don't deal with heat pumps a lot so again you know kind of as i was thinking through this and looking through it and i was reading you know about new refrigerant laws going into effect and things like that which obviously impacts efficiency going forward mm-hmm. uh, and then the ratings and you know mandatory government standards being bumped up on sears and stuff like that Anyways, didn't
0: mean to digress too much. No, I think that was a, a good sidebar, especially for for listeners that maybe are new to heat pumps. You know, it's stuff to consider when you look at a, a number on a efficiency. If you're going to just call it that for a heat pump, oh, five hundred percent efficient. Well, that's on its best day for a couple days of the year, maybe. So yeah,
2: and you know, while we're on the subject of air source heat pumps, um, and the changing of the COP based on outdoor conditions, you know, Clayton, as you said, in the winter time, you know, a lot of these heat pumps will be acting as a COP of one, an electric yeah. resistance heater. Um, and, you know, the when, when all of them, it, you know, if we're starting to see a lot more heat pumps being installed and in some jurisdictions mandated, you have to consider what are the effects On the grid, like can we handle that? Are they planning for that? Because you know, if it if you get a very cold day at zero degrees out, and you know, if people are misunderstanding, oh, my heat pump has a COP of four. You know, I'll I'll be, you know, if we're planning that as the draw on electricity, when in reality, you could see a substantial spike in demand based on the significant amount of units going into electric resistance. And not just that, even if they aren't in auxiliary electric resistance, they're at much reduced COPs. Um, So they're all drawing a lot more electricity. I think those are definitely things that need to be planned for. um, See a lot of investment in if this is the path we're going down. um, Because it'll be a significant increase in peak demand for the grids out there to handle.
0: So you're saying I won't even be able to plug in my car either then? yeah <laughs> come on well and you have
1: significantly decreased um range with your car so not only will you not
0: be able to plug it in if you can plug it in you'll need to do it more frequently <laughs> yeah oh man for another podcast episode i guess <laughs> the but heat yeah pumps are amazing technology i mean a combination of
3: you know, electrical, mechanical, and chemical, you know, with the refrigerant. It's it's very hard to extract heat from cold air outside, but, you know, like you said, Clayton, you can still run a heat pump, you know, in pretty cold temperatures out there. They get, you know, very inefficient, like you said, also, and at yeah. a certain point, you're going to have those electric duct
0: heaters kicking out anyways. Uh, you know, and, and I will say I'm a I'm a big advocate of it. I don't know a lot in the industrial or or maybe that isn't even even a sector for this discussion, but a commercial, but, um, you know, residential ground source heat pumps to me make a lot of sense, at least in our climate. I mean, maybe they work probably well better than air source in many climates. And I get an air source heat pumps, probably a lot cheaper and easier to install. So that reduces initial costs, but yeah, residentially ground source heat pumps, especially in our Northern climates, I I mean, unless somebody like you did the quick napkin calc mark on it, I don't see, I don't want to say it. I don't see a negative, but I think there's a lot of benefits to them.
2: I think you just said it. It's, it's cost, right? You just got to, yeah, it's a yeah. cost of digging and putting in the, yep. the loop field. That, yeah, well, that's, but
1: a, but the, look at the concentration of population though. Not everybody ha- owns or has access to an acre per ton of refrigeration requirement. I mean, yes that's just a, that that's a uh, impediment in itself mm-hmm. that uh, we can talk about oh let's do a geothermal project but I don't care even if you're doing vertical wells people just don't have access to it. I mean a lot of front yards backyards can't
0: accommodate either a drill rig or uh, mm-hmm. trenches So, mm-hmm. and that's that's definitely a downside for it you yeah. know I uh, I would agree So let's talk a little bit about like a a commercial application then for heat pumps. And obviously we, I, 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 there's plenty, right. But that seems to be another big push. So we did a little bit of residential discussion and if you have the land, great put in a ground source heat pump and you'll, you'll make out pretty well. I think from a energy standpoint, um, you know, commercial application, Like a project we're working on now, high-rise building with a lot of heat pumps and a a big central heat pump loop. Um, What are some thoughts on that, I guess, to keep it that way? You know, energy considerations and so on and so forth. Is that that something that looks looks good or it sounds good, but, you know, at the end of the day, what are you saving or i think balancing has
3: got to be the key word there right jim i mean like balancing your you know zones that are in heating mode and zones that are in cooling mode to you know be able to effectively transfer that energy from one part of the building to another
2: yeah that that's where you really see the benefits of water source heat pumps is when you have the good kind of simultaneous heating and cooling Mm -hmm. right which means you have some heat pumps in heating mode they're pulling heat from the loop and you have some heat pumps in, in cooling mode rejecting heat to the loop. Um, so if you have, you know, a, a square shaped tower building and you have interior spaces, those are going to be in, the interior spaces will be in cooling mode all year round. They're surrounded by conditioned spaces and they'll never need heating. They'll only need cooling when people are in there or the lights are on um, or you have processes going on. You know, so you could pull some heat from those interior spaces and, you know, essentially pump it through the heat pump loop into the exterior spaces. Um, you know, similarly, when you're in the shoulder months, maybe it's 50, 60 degrees outside, the sun's rising um, in the east, your west-facing units need a little bit of heating, your east-facing units need cooling, you um, when you have different exterior exposures like that, you could also see the benefits of the simultaneous heating and cooling. Um, so that's definitely a big benefit. Some of the other benefits, and that's just on the internal building level, right? I mean, right. The, the the one obvious benefit we've been talking about with a heat pump when you're moving heat rather than, uh, you know, changing it from chemical to heat, you know, the way a furnace does, is you have the potential to Do heat recovery from waste heat sources, whether it's ground source, you know, we can move heat from the ground through an earth loop if we have Mm -hmm. vertical wells um, out in a parking lot or in a field if you have the room for it. Um, A lot of people now are doing community uh, district energy. Yep, there's a big push for that in North America. That uh, that opens up the potential for that. Um, and then even on the first cost, um, and some of the installation advantages. You're, you're generally dealing with smaller ductwork. You're, you're typically dealing with distributed systems, distributed air systems. So your only central air system typically would be your ventilation, which means your ductwork is going to get a lot smaller compared to a central air handling system. Yep. And that will also provides another opportunity for energy recovery ventilation. Um, so, if you're in a new building, you have the uh, potential to design for heat recovery there as well with your mm-hmm. exhaust air and your ventilation air. So, that's, those are a lot of the the ben- there, there's definitely a lot of benefits to water source heat pumps in commercial buildings. Whether you're talking about the flexibility during installation, some of the energy efficiency benefits as well. Um, that's why they're so popular in those types of buildings.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's definitely got to be a reason they do it. Right. I mean, it's not like all projects like that are, I don't even know some places, maybe more than others, but like subsidies for doing heat pumps at a commercial level. Is that a, is that a thing or. Yeah. There's
2: uh, definitely a push depending on your jurisdiction. Um, Utilities will have rebates. um, Some states will have programs, incentives, you know, the, the, the other benefit sometimes people call it a drawback but a potential benefit when you when you talk maintenance of these systems so that they're relatively easy to maintain and when i say that you don't need you could your your heat pumps are typically unitary Mm -hmm. and distributed so they're like one to five tons and they're electromechanical control you know thermostat 24 volt thermostat similar to what you see in a residence and you essentially just have a lot of little unitary systems that a lot of contract any commercial contractor you know would be willing and able to work on versus your chilled water boiler plant mm-hmm. you know, if you have like a four pipe fan coil system you may need a higher level you know contractor to help maintain the system and, and and that's ignoring the argument between like a central versus distributed maintenance. You know, now we're changing filters and dealing with condensate pumps on systems all throughout right. the building. Uh, I'm ignoring that, I know, but just making the argument that there are some benefits depending on how you look at it. Uh, maintenance going forward for uh, you know people that own office buildings they may not have, as opposed to like an industrial building, they may, they won't have facilities engineers on staff you know mm-hmm. you have a lot of times the the maintenance staff isn't their their background is not in hvac they're their back they're not mechanical backgrounds and a lot of times these are the people running these systems and you know these types of systems are easier for them to maintain versus you know a, a more central advanced system
0: and i assume there there there's a lot less maintenance required like you mentioned you know yeah changing filters and if a condensate pump dies but past that for a unitary heat pump, it, it's probably just turn it on and let it run for the most part. I mean, I, at least in my experience, I can't think of there's like a annual maintenance or anything besides a filter uh, change.
1: I, I, th- I think you have to look at it though from the perspective of maintenance, uh, manpower requirement. Mm-hmm. It it's it, so we we've moved away now from uh central system VAV reheat call it. Yeah. So in in that system, unless there's fan powered boxes, you have one location to go to for filter changes, lubrication, belt, Mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. And now we have pick a number 200, Mm -hmm. uh, heat pumps, which although they may not require, um, the level of intensity of maintenance that a central unit requires, just the fact that you now have 200 of them. And at some point they all require somebody to go look, touch, tweak, whatever. It's a different maintenance um, footprint than a central station. So there's still somebody that has to carry a ladder or or assuming they're all in the ceiling, which is typical, and get to them. It's more invasive and intrusive to the occupants of the building than a behind the scenes. Yeah. Let's maintain the, the, the... And that's just an observation, not that it's bad or good, but when it does happen, it's generally more intrusive to the occupants.
3: Agreed. Absolutely. And you still have the heat source and sinks to deal with, whether that's a boiler or a tower. Yeah.
0: Yep. You still have some centralized equipment.
1: Just as a, going back to the commercial, just, you know, going into the Wayback Machine again, it was decades ago that we did a project in uh, upstate New York at a large municipal office complex where they had 3000 tons of cooling uh i say that i think 2800 tons of cooling that was using an underground aquifer as their uh heat source and sink so summertime but but to gym's earlier point it would get saturated over the course of the summer hmm. so they would start off in you know maybe july or august starting to use the uh underground aquifer and running the chillers at a lower or a higher cop using that ground source aquifer and a mixing valve and then by um, the end of august early september the uh, aquifer you know uh, slow flowing large reservoir that they would run the chillers flat out on the uh, underground aquifer and then by september or early october that aquifer would be up to 85, 90 degrees. And uh, then they would reject it, use that as, uh, or they would they would reconfigure the piping. Yeah, and use the uh, condenser water for their reheat energy in the
0: building. So does that kind of fall into what I had as a question, like how would you run a chiller as a heat pump? It, um, that's exactly what they did. And it was no modern chiller either. I mean, right. the, these were just
1: some big York, standard uh centrifugal machines it was you know not a mag bearing you know yeah yeah yeah, yeah.
0: Hmm. that's neat that, project yeah. yeah so that that would be how you could run a, a chiller as a heat pump and, and instead of having a reversing valve for the refrigeration flow they kind of just reversed the water flow well not reversed yep. i guess but yeah use in well,
1: downtown rochester there are a number of facilities that use uh, the Genesee River as their condenser water. Hmm. Makes sense, I guess. Which isn't really a heat pump, just another.
3: Yeah. No, just sample. for their chillers, you're saying. Yeah. Right.
0: Yep. Yeah.
2: But that is also, you know, we, we were focused on ground source and, and water source. You know, the water source, you you can use um, well. groundwater. You can use groundwater, yeah. you know, through a, a, a well. You can use um, rivers. You could use ponds or lakes if they're big enough Um, those are all potential sources and sinks for heat depending on the size and location you know they all have their nuances to them you know if you're talking a deep water well you have to factor in the pump head yeah you you gotta you gotta return the filtration and you have to bring that typically back through a dry well of some sort to make sure you're not contaminating the ground aquifer um you know if it's a lake or a pond it has to be big enough and deep enough if you're using it for heating and cooling if it has to be matched to your load so those are all potential uses for water source heat pumps it's just the most common i've seen is is uh ground just because you know it's more consistent it's it's uh depending on if you have the land you know, it's it's going to be easier to install that. Not everyone has a pond or a lake or a river big enough yeah. in their backyard to implement one of the other systems.
0: Yeah. So, Mark, I got a question for you. And we're just talking about heat pumps and all that, right? You got personal yeah. experience.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, economics and every... Aside from the... You call it the intangible benefits of a heat pump. Um, economically, right? If, if you're running a heat pump in your house and... You would Your alternative would be what, propane or oil? Oil. You're saving money, right? You see it. I see it. Uh, so that's a good question, Clayton.
1: So we have oil backup heat, and uh, we put in a, a pretty good-sized pond. But uh, what I run into is even at the uh, – and I did the calc this year to figure out, okay, at what outside air temperature do I need to switch to – Boiler boiler backup Mm -hmm. and it's not so much uh that uh, so the the heat pump is nominal six tons in cooling Mm -hmm. and it should be able to do at you know the the ari rating or whatever the rating is should be able to do seven tons in heating at 55 degree entering water and they call it 110 leaving which is i can't heat my house with 110 degree water so i need about 115, 120 one hundred and twenty-degree water, at about twenty degrees outside. So, as the pond cools off, and like right now, it's down to thirty-nine degree entering water. I just looked at it this morning, mm-hmm. and uh, it was twenty degrees here this morning. So, you know, that's a almost eighty to a little over eighty-degree lift. Mm-hmm. The COP goes down to about just barely breaking three, mm-hmm. not very good. And at that point, I'm better off to use oil based on my current
0: electric rate. And current oil rate. And current oil, yes, current oil rate. That's, that's I'm, I'm surprised by that almost, just thinking of how much it costs, I don't know, whatever it costs for a gallon of heating oil, probably yeah. pretty high. Five um, five bucks. Yeah, so I'm surprised it's still economically cheaper at, at a day like today as your well, example to run. The pond's almost frozen. Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: Well, it, and that's interesting Nick because today it's going to go up to 40 degrees but the surface of my pond will still have ice on it. Yeah. I mean, it's a it's a decent sized pond, 22 feet deep. You can't believe how much heat over the course of the year to date you pull out of you know yeah. that body of water even with incoming water rainwater all you know it right it, it, it still replenishes it but I mean that pond I bet in general is uh, you know the fish like I can't wait for summer <laughs> 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 but it, it, I so that's that's one of the heat pumps the other one is a, is a once-through yeah uh, water like Jimmy was talking about and so it pumps out of the well goes back to uh, rock strata at the at a slightly higher elevation than the well, goes back through the uh, rock strata, and then, you know, mostly filters back into the well. And that thing runs like a champ, but there have been problems in the winter with extremely cold entering water, just, you know, where that one is. It's not uncommon to be zero or minus 15 degrees. And on the the traverse to the house, I think there's—I didn't put this one in— I think it's close to the surface in some cases, so I get down to, you know, 35 degree entering water, 40 degree entering water, and a couple times it's even frozen. So, um, unless I'm there running it all the time, uh, so that that water's circulating, I don't use the uh, heat pump after you know the end of November, really, until spring. Mm. Okay. Uh, but in the summertime, I mean, the the, the bills go down dramatically from winter to summer even though in winter the place is only heated to 55 as soon as it gets warm out i leave the air conditioning on year round just to dehumidify and yeah. filter the air and it's, yeah. it's a lot less money to cool the place
0: than heat the place makes sense <laughs> <A> case study <laughs> yeah yeah and, and you know i don't i mean my my folks have a ground source um heat pump You know looking at the utility bill it always seems to make sense and they like the intangibles of i don't have to call somebody to get propane filled and and oil filled and all that and you know that's a not everybody has that um leisure to be able to say oh i'll just spend the money on a heat pump instead of having to worry about getting my propane filled and all that stuff but yeah i don't know it's just i figured i'd see what your input was from personal experience with them because you obviously have it so
1: well and especially the one in pennsylvania Unbelievable cooling COP. I mean, yeah, if, yeah. I'm, if I have fifty degree entering water from the pond, which is pretty typical in mm-hmm. the summertime, maybe fifty two, mm-hmm. I make thirty nine degree water uh, with a with a heat pump at maybe a almost a six COP. Yeah, and the thing will dehumidify this house. It's oh unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah yeah
3: <laughs> yeah. So you're very interesting seems to me like it all comes down to your heat source and, and sink, you know? Yes. And how efficiently or... Right.
2: Yeah. It's a major part of it, Yeah. To well, me, if what, you can...
3: Oh, sorry.
1: No, that's what drove the heat pump, you know, initiative that, okay, air to air, you can only operate it down to originally, you know, back, back in the day, it was maybe 35. Mm-hmm. And then how do you get below that? Well, let's find another heat source and ground is the... That's a stable above thirty-five heat source.
0: Yeah, I think if you do a horizontal ground loop, you're, that's best case scenario for a heat pump. Yeah.
3: So, anybody using solar as a heat source, residential or commercial?
0: Oh, as in, as like a hot water, uh, solar water heaters, or is that what you're asking? Well, no. It's well,
1: there are concentrated solar collectors out west where they're using solar collectors to generate enough heat for rank and cycle generation and i mean you, but you have to concentrate the you know a fairly large amount of heat yeah uh, you know to be able to do that
2: and and i've only read about this i've never been a part of a project or design that involved it but i have seen um people imp- implement solar thermal collectors um is it? it was like it Canada, looks like
0: a solar panel on your roof, but you're pumping water through it.
2: No, it was, it was actually I want to say it was a a residential community loop in Canada that had solar thermal collectors um, augmenting the feed into the back into the ground loop. You know, because hmm. they they were so imbalanced with their heating versus. Yeah, that's cooling. what I'm talking
3: about. Yeah, I, I'm yeah I'm familiar with like solar domestic hot water heating that sort of stuff.
2: yeah so in this in especially in the summer and this is where i get into the vertical wells using seasonal storage you know in the summer they're running that collector at a higher efficiency and it's helping replenish the ground temperature in the summer because the air conditioning rejection of heat isn't Mm -hmm. enough to make up for how much heat they're pulling out in the winter again that's just me regurgitating what i read (laughs) (laughs) in a journal article and it was pretty interesting it makes sense yeah when you first read about it but
0: Interesting. So um, just a few more questions before I wrap the podcast up. Residentially, I think a a general consensus would be if you could do a ground source, horizontal loop, geothermal heat pump at your house, overall, you're you're in pretty good shape economically, right? And probably economics and energy consumption wise, I know those kind of are hand in hand, Um, safe assumption, right? Just don't put a solar array over it later.
3: Well, uh, why not? Well, I don't know. I thought we were talking about your your, your ground sources. Is, is I mean, it's yeah. solar energy, technically, right? That's yeah.
0: So you're saying, like, in my backyard, don't, don't put a don't put solar panels. Yeah, you have a horizontal yeah. field. Yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. I don't solar.
1: know. I, I don't know. I guess I look at it. Maybe that's true. Maybe it's uh, yeah. I guess it, it to some extent it has to be true. But we've run. uh loop fields through the woods yeah. you know what i mean with uh uh trencher or a, an excavator and put it in the woods and uh yeah oh so,
2: yeah I think, I think it has more to do with the ambient
1: air i think yeah. that's what I, that's what i was going to say it's not necessarily the shading but
0: not the direct ambient. solar okay right right so that's a good safe assumption if somebody's interested in heat pumps and that's something you could do more than likely you're going to end up in pretty good shape Commercial, no. like the the example that Jim you you spoke of, you know, for commercial high rise building, is that like the uh, I don't know what the right word is the not the future, like the utopic. This is the best we can do right now for for heat pump technology or, or just you know basic HVAC technology. If I wanted the most efficient heating and cooling system for my commercial, you know multi-unit building is that what you would go for or are there other options and that's just a, a, an okay one um um it it's it's like what's the utopic kind of best case scenario uh,
2: uh, utopic I mean, well fission. whatever you know <laughs> well Nuclear i mean fission. yeah um, <laughs> it's definitely more efficient you know these water source heat pumps with a water-cooled tower or yeah. a ground source is definitely be more efficient than like a packaged air cooled rooftop unit or split systems or PTACS, you know, packaged terminal air conditioners. Yep. Um, so those will definitely be more efficient than those types of systems. You know, I, for a like a, a residential tower, it, it depends on the space type. Like if it's a like a all commercial building, no residences, um, you still got to consider, you know, VAV reheat's tough to beat in terms of overall. efficiency Mm -hmm. because you get a lot of that that airside economizer and especially in the Mm -hmm. you're outside of southwest florida still has a lot of economizer hours that are Mm -hmm. really tough to beat even with the heat recovery potential of heat pumps Uh, but generally speaking they're very popular in uh, commercial buildings um, especially when you're under you know two three hundred tons to where water-cooled central plants don't really make economic sense over the life cycle. It's not really worth the the upfront cost to implement them. And that's why they're very popular in office buildings and residential buildings. They just make a lot of sense. So the one the one thing you know we didn't really get into, which isn't as common, is like a central heat pump system to where you essentially have, you know, instead of a chiller and boiler, you have a chiller that is a heat pump, like a centrifugal heat pump Mm -hmm. that could go in both directions. um, And you could see those with a ground loop uh, to where instead of having your ground loop water be distributed throughout the building, it's just essentially chilling uh, or cooling like the heat pump condenser or going the other way and uh, pulling heat from the ground and then creating hot or chilled water to go out, go throughout the building. Um, I, I think we're going to see some more of that in the future, as uh, you know. There's this regulatory push. Depending on where you live, I know here in New York, they're really pushing for the electrification of heating um, at a very fast pace, with some new legislation that uh, could be approved in relatively short order. To where they'll be putting a moratorium in 2025, at least on residences. You know, no new gas hookups, and then. Mm-hmm. Making life difficult for people in twenty thirty that have gas. You know, just, just the mm. if all that keeps going with the current pace and the current trajectory, um you're gonna see a lot more heat pump designs, you know, I think start to make sense where people maybe wouldn't have bothered with essential Heat pump system, as I just described, they're just throwing boilers and chillers. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, it makes more sense than the stuff. Now they're
2: going to start considering things like that if they do want a more if they don't want to deal with unitary heat pumps all over, you know, hundreds of heat pumps yeah. sprinkled throughout the building, and they want that central system, and they do have space for geothermal ground loops. You know, now they may consider that type of system more strongly than they would have previously. Right. It's no longer just. You know, someone trying to be green, it's now, it's it just might be the economics of it when you factor in some of the regulations coming down um, right. and some future proofing. It's definitely a stronger consideration now than it used to be just a year or two ago.
0: Yep. Yep. And and that's what's driving a, a industrial or large commercial facility from not doing that currently with, with the chiller operating in a heat pump, is just installation economics.
2: I I think that's definitely a big part of it. Um, Yeah, (laughs) because I mean, it makes
0: a lot of sense, right? I don't know from a
2: ten thousand
0: foot overview, why would you not? But there's got to be a reason. So the
1: the decision time horizon for every business is different, and they, Mm -hmm. you know, they look at it like go. You're not going to find least mixed use space, and there's a lot of that with geothermal heat pumps in it. Very often. Mm-hmm. Unless you find a tenant who's willing to pay the premium, to say, yeah, we have you know uh, renewables on site mm-hmm. until such time as it becomes a le- legislative mandate, mm-hmm. it just it won't happen. And at that point, you know, the legacy properties have a, a rental cost advantage
0: that is hard to beat. Yes. Well, and they'll just buy the, the, the carbon credits, right? Oh, boy. Oh, boy. This is about heat pumps. <laughs> Clayton. Our listeners, I hope that they listen to these in order because I think <laughs> well, it will make not, sense.
1: If they're not listening in order, go back and listen to Is Conservation a Pillar?, of the
0: green agenda yeah.
1: because you may find that enlightening as well
0: i think it was a great episode this one too honestly <laughs> i think episode. this is a very enlightening episode and i know i don't want to say i i, I wish we changed how it flowed but um you know we, we talked about a lot of the Unitarian and smaller heat pump applications because i think that's kind of the spotlight they're in right now sure, right that's the predominant Yes. So it's fitting to the technology, but I'm very interested in the technology evolving, like what Jim just described is more on a commercial, large commercial, or would you call it industrial scale, probably. Um, that really intrigues me. So it'll be interesting to see well, how things so shake it was,
1: out. It was several, it was probably around 2005 or six. Jim. We did a big study on a downtown Rochester facility that basically has a square footprint Uh, I won't name names, but talked at that point because during the intermediate season, they would still require cooling because the the economizer wouldn't dehumidify and talked about using their chillers as reheat energy because they uh, purchased at that time district steam, pretty expensive energy source. we said for the, you know, a small cost, you put in a plate and frame heat exchanger in mm-hmm. series with your existing steam to hot water converter and use that and uh, didn't go for it, even though. And at that point, you'd basically be using the central chill water plant as at least an intermediate season heat pump. But didn't like yeah. that idea.
2: And there's heat recovery chillers out there. You know, those yeah. have been around now yep. um, to where you essentially, the condenser, you could bleed off some of the water and, and use that yep. or you know VAV reheat in the summer it's a great mm-hmm. system you know now it's interesting I haven't done this in a while like how do you compare um you're going to be operating at a higher lift and higher COP to get you your higher there. temperatures so how does that compare with these new maglev chillers mm. or these chillers with very very low kw per ton at part load um I I don't I just don't know the answer to that. I just do know that heat recovery chillers are out there, and it makes sense for a lot of people. Right. um And then similar to that, they have the heat recovery heat pumps, which are going to. I think you're going to see those in more industrial buildings, to where it's similar to a heat recovery chiller, but instead of you know you're uh, controlling to chilled water, you're controlling to the heat side. It's a little bit different than a heat, re- heat recovery right. chiller. You're just taking whatever heat you get from the condenser and. Mm-hmm recovering it. Um, So I think all these things moving forward, we're going to see more of them. They're already very popular in Europe. I remember I was doing a study a couple years ago on some district energy systems using heat pumps, and I was having a hard time finding any equipment, this big central centrifugal heat pump type equipment available in the U.S. All your big name manufacturers seem to have it available in Europe, but they would not we're not interested in even discussing it, it bringing the stuff to North America. Really? I have to imagine. Yeah. And this was, you know, two, three years ago. And I'd have to imagine that's a different conversation now. Um, you, with, with everything I'm seeing now, I'm sure they're, it's going to start popping up here. They're going to be much more interested in bringing that technology here because it's going to be, there's going to be some demand, especially with the way the regulations are going.
0: Right. Hmm. And, and I- I don't know. It's probably, you know, government regulations to force this are probably not the the right way to go about it. Essentially, but to me, that technology makes a lot of sense if you can afford it. I guess, right? That's the big question. Which technology? Just, just like what Jim just described on like a large scale heat pump systems. Or oh, sure. Chillers that have that capability. Well, I think that you keyed
3: in on something there, Clayton, which has kind of soured me as we completed. <laughs> I it. know. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. So, do we expect more innovation out of heat pumps over the next two decades when it's like other options for heating and cooling your home or business have been artificially restricted?
0: I think, oh, that, oh, I don't think so. Like, I (laughs) I don't don't
3: know exactly to your point. And then you mean,
0: oh, we got the market share now. We don't have to drive costs down and and make it more efficient and all that stuff. Yeah. 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 Um, I mean
3: so furnaces
0: aren't gonna be marketed
3: in New York State and then yeah. other states. Ooh, that's
2: Great a deep thinking question, kind of
0: man. Artificially perverted in a yeah. few ways here. Or do you need that nudge from No, you don't. <laughs> Sorry. Editorial <laughs> opinion there. I'm not <laughs> advocating. I'm just I'm just asking, you know. Yeah, so. You're a shit stirrer. Yeah. <laughs> Would you be wearing your seatbelt if it wasn't a law? At some point, I don't know. So, um, to to wrap this up, unless anybody else has any any input to add to this discussion, and honestly, I could I think this could be a part two down the road on more of a a commercial large scale discussion as this technology, I, I guess, evolves. I don't know because I'm really like I said really intrigued in that application on a on a large scale and not necessarily mm-hmm. distributed unitary stuff. Um. But you know, any parting thoughts from the building hot rodders? Like, how how would you leave this episode for a listener? They learned a lot about heat pumps. I think they got a good understanding. If they did already, maybe they agree with what we said. And if if they know a lot about heat pumps, maybe they disagree. But you know, to me again, the comparison is up to everybody. I assume is to do you use like from a residential standpoint um, a furnace with with an air conditioning system compared to a heat pump, wh- where do you, what's better? And then, you know, from a light commercial standpoint, your options and what's better. They, is there a clear winner or is it just kind of depend on your situation financially and what energy costs and
3: application, application, application.
0: That's yeah. What I think I mean, yep, I agree. Situational.
3: If you don't have a choice of using anything, then you got to go with the heat pump. And yeah. Yeah. Discussion's over. <laughs> if you have uh, alternate scenarios you i think you need to look at i mean the big things that are driving decisions are economics yeah environmental factors so look closely at those ratings understand what's behind the ratings Mm -hmm. understand if you'll ever come close to that in your situation
1: and i think nick that is exactly the point so take the time to educate yourself avail yourself of all the information sources not just a contractor not just a single recommendation understand the tax credit implications because there's still substantial tax credits available for uh, heat pump and especially for geothermal heat pumps but you know it's not uh it's not a decision that you should make based on uh, a sales pitch or the sticker you know you don't buy your vehicle based on the printed EPA gas mileage, so I agree with you.
0: Good. I think this was a great episode, guys. With that, I think I'll wrap this episode up. To our listeners, I hope you really enjoyed the heat pumps episode. I I think we all enjoyed discussing these. And stay tuned for the next episode. Thanks a lot, guys.